Fudge. You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for Denard War, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there the Pharaohs from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, circa 1964 with my favorite Martian. And today on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview and DJ curated set by New York DJ Jonathan Tobin. Jonathan Tobin, today on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show, choosing the music as well, today on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show, and getting interviewed on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show, and in working your feet, yes, working your feet tomorrow at the Cobalt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Because Jonathan is coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow night to the Cobalt as part of Levitation Vancouver. And he's going to be at the Cobalt tomorrow night doing his soul clap where you're going to be worked out feet-wise. So you're going to be worked out voice-wise with the interview and feet-wise with the dancing and music ear-wise today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. So today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, DJ Don- Jonathan Tobin. And right now, Jonathan has put together a little set. We're going to hear what Jonathan has chosen. And in an interview with DJ Jonathan Tobin, again, who is coming to Vancouver tomorrow night, tomorrow night at the Cobalt. He's on at 12 midnight. Also, Mr. Elevator and the Brain Hotel and the Shivas are playing as well at the Cobalt and a whole bunch of 
other stuff happening as part of Levitation Vancouver. So right now, for you dear listeners, here's something personally chosen, a little set by DJ Jonathan Tobin, and in an interview with Jonathan Tobin on Denardoir to Human Serviette Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, because of bad weather, the Rolling Stones will not be here tonight. In their place, will you please welcome Jonathan Tobin! Je serai là 
And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there, caller? Oh, yes, I'm here. Who are you? I was just calling to ask you if 125 is the Canadian national anthem yet. You are Jonathan Tobin. Oh, I am Jonathan Tobin. And How are you doing today? Good. Who are you, Jonathan, for the people that don't know? And they will be finding out about you tomorrow night when you come to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, to the Cobalt as part of the Levitation Festival. But who are you? Please tell us. Who are you for people that don't know? 
Okay, my name's Johnson Tobin, and uh, I live in New York City. I'm from Texas originally. And, uh, yeah, I, I play records for a living mostly, like weird old records. And you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada to do what? People can catch you at midnight tomorrow at the Cobalt. What are you going to be doing, and what did we just hear earlier on in an Ardwater Human Serviette radio show? Oh, man. Well, the, those songs were all some of my favorite 45s, the original records uh, from Canada in the 60s. We ended, and, uh, we ended there with The Haunted. What do you want to say about The Haunted? We played The Haunted just there before you came on. They are so good, right? They have a really good love cover that I have somewhere, too, man. That, that, how, how did Canada have so much good music? It, amazing stuff. Actually, The Haunted were also issued in South Africa. There's a South African pressing of their LP because they have some connection to the band, the ACADs, as well. So for the collector nerds, you can get the South African pressing. Are you looking for The Haunted South African pressing? What do you do specifically? Like when they go down to the Cobalt tomorrow night, Saturday, Jonathan, what are they going to see? Are they going to see you with a Haunted LP? No, there's going to be no LP, is there? What? <laughs> You know, <clears throat> what's really great about tomorrow, I, I have never, the party I'm doing is called the Soul Clap and Dance Off. And it's a, uh, it's a soul dance party. I play all, you know, you know black American music from the 60s, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and then there's, uh, you know, a dance contest, which is, is usually really fun with judges and everything. But uh, this one is special because there's uh, the Levitation Festival, which, I can't believe how good whoever curated this thing is. And uh, my night has a band called the Shivas that uh, I was actually with last time I was there. And, uh, man, they're, they're really killer. And the opener is particularly amazing, this band called Mr. Elevator and the Brain Hotel. And they're on at 10.25, the Shiva's at 11.20, and then you on at 12 a.m. tomorrow night at the Cobalt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We're speaking here to Jonathan Tobin, DJ Jonathan Tobin, and you DJed big time. You helped out the Nardwater Human Serviette radio show here today. And just go back. We just heard The Haunted, and before that we heard the Rhythm Rockers with The Cave. The Cave. Baboom! Did you, <laughs> the, the that, that one is weird, right? That's a, that's a record. That's an unusual record you don't hear every day, right? Well, what is weird to you, Jonathan? Because you've heard everything. Somebody must say, this is weird, and you must go, that's not weird. What is weird to you? The Rhythm Walkers, The Cave is weird to you? Well, I feel like, uh, I feel like uh, The Haunted 125 is a canonical, legendary song all over the world for people that like garage rock, you, you know. But but the cave, I don't know the rhythm rockers. It's just a very very odd. I don't even know what genre of music it is or who those people are. And and I I certainly had a hard time finding it once I discovered it. Before that, we had Les Chavels. Anything? Oh yeah. Anything you, anything you want to say about Les Chavels or the Ugly Ducklings, which we heard a double shot of. Man, I couldn't decide what Ugly Ducklings to play. They have so many good records. and They're from Toronto. And, man, everything they do is so good. Like, I, I, yeah, one of the supreme bands ever, right? Incredible band. In fact, for a long time, people said that Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet and the Ugly Ducklings were the only two good bands to come out of Toronto. Now there's many, and there actually are a lot more 
cool bands out of Toronto, but for a long time, they held it down, the Ugly Ducklings. And you just couldn't decide, just in case you wonder, and nothing we heard by the Ugly Ducklings. And before that, Miss Jenny Rock. Oh, yeah. And she's doing a Rufus Thomas song. I've also heard Memphis Train. I've also heard her do Hush. Have you heard a version of Hush? Oh man, so good. And bef- I think she covered everything. She did a Sloopy. She did a what was it like? Easy? No, it's with a new beat song. Like, yeah, man, a great interpreter. Great Quebecois French rock and roll as curated here, all chosen. And these are all from the original 45s, right, Jonathan? You put this together. These are from your 45s into the computer to CITR radio. Yes, yes. <clears throat> I, I only, uh, I try to, you know, partially for the challenge and also for like when people come see me, I like the uh, commitment to playing the original record. Before that, we heard Les Hulops and Les Jaguars. And Your pronunciation is excellent for a West Coaster. It's probably totally wrong. Les Jaguars <laughs> have one of the most amazing album covers that I saw you posted there, and I also tweeted that out. I love their album cover. Maybe you could describe that to the people, the Les Jaguars album cover, Jonathan. It's, it's sort of like a dream of everything you would imagine in, in life. You're someone like me, you know, it's a beautiful girl. There's some leopard print, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's got some really nice 60s photography. And you began with that all Canadian set as curated by DJ Jonathan Tobin. And DJ Jonathan Tobin is live here on the Nardwar, the Human Survey Radio Show. Actually, if you want to give him a call, 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR. You can also tweet Jonathan at at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. We began that 18-minute set of personally curated Jonathan Tobin Rock, which you'll be hearing a lot of tomorrow night at the Cobalt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with SCTV. Thank you for acknowledging Canada's greatest TV show. <laughs> I love the intro to that song so much. Count Floyd. I want to use that for everything. Count Flo- the Rolling Stones have canceled due to bad weather. <laughs> Were you getting SCTV in Texas growing up? Was it easy to get SCTV? Oh, hell yeah, man. Like, uh, SCTV... Was yeah, definitely something, and we, you know, I don't know, someone my age, I, I saw Strange Brew at the theater, you know, and heroes, heroes of contemporary life. And Jonathan, what is whale ste- steak like? You've had some whale steak in Iceland. What's whale steak? How did you know I ate whale steak? You're Jonathan Tobin. We have to know. <laughs> I did try the whale steak in a, in a, in, in Iceland, and I have to admit, I did feel I I did feel a little too close to it to do more than try it, but it it was actually delicious. It was like a, it was sort of like a, almost like a red meat, I guess, because it's it's a mammalian creature like us, you know. Where was that, and what was the reason behind it? Were you DJing over there? Was it just a stopover? What was it like DJing in Iceland? Oh man, they have they have an amazing festival in Iceland, and uh, and and it, and it you should have seen it. I mean, it was like, uh, I mean, bands from all over that, that you would know. It's called Airwaves, and uh, all the you know people. It's kind of one of those festivals that people go to see what's big next year. Like David Frick from Rolling Stone was on the plane with me. 
you know, to go check out all the bands. It's it's a uh, it's sort of one of those things that, that you go do, I guess, if um, you know, if you want to see what's up. Which is interesting because it's a pretty quiet quiet island. We we actually got a tweet right here, Jonathan, from Vanessa from the band The Ballantines. And she says, oh. I can't wait for tomorrow. So that is an indication that she saw you and you played with The Ballantines last time. What do you remember about your last time in Vancouver with The Ballantines? Oh. She is a heroine of Canadian rock and roll. I, I have her records I should have played, you know. She, yeah, I can't wait. Shaken All Over is the name of one of your nights. Look, you have the soul clap. They're shaken all over. When you say shaken all over, are you thinking of Canada, the guess who, shaken all over, or are you thinking of Johnny Kidd and the Pirates? Well, to be honest, the name, the full name is Shaken All Over Under Sideways Down. So it's, uh, I, I abbreviate it for Shaken All Over, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a hybrid of, you know, of, of course, the Johnny Kidd standard that many people covered. And the Canadian one, the Guess Who one, is quite supreme, I would say. And then, and then the, uh, you know, over, under, sideways, down is, of course, at Yardbirds, you know. When you... So it was, it was me trying to be clever in my feeble way. <laughs> when you come to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, you're going to be having the soul clap tomorrow night a little while back you worked with the village people how did you hook up with the village people's cowboy and did you talk to him <laughs> oh man well this is a long story but a couple of my punk rock friends um befriended the cowboy from the village people and uh and uh they took him to my party at home sweet home in new york and i wasn't there and i was so disappointed that i missed him because randy the cowboy is a, is a huge cultural icon like it wouldn't when they're yelling at Donna Summer, Randy, get off the stage! Like she has a live arm, she says that it's 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 that Randy. He, he's he's been around since the early '70s and is a part of a, I guess this sort of weird subculture that that um you know old New York that they don't really have of like you know that, that sort of gay scene and uh, or for instance he told me he agreed to do it because uh, I asked him if he wanted to do it and he asked David Johansson he's like you did it. How was he? I've been friends with David forever. <laughs> so, you know, we had some unique people a long time ago that made a, a quite a culture here. What exactly? And Randy reminds me of that. What exactly was he doing at your event? Like when people came to your event, what was Randy from the village people doing? Was he dressed up as a cowboy? And how did your punk friends befriend him? Well, I decided, okay, I play a bunch of mostly really obscure soul records at my party. And, and it's, you know, it's not the kind of parties that have that kind of alienate a lot of people sometimes because they're very serious. So I decided to have a dance contest in the middle, which I'm doing tomorrow, because I thought this should be a little more lighthearted. This is party music. We should have fun with it. And we should, you know, make every record so good, even if no one knows it, that, that they want to dance. And we have this contest. I was thinking, for a while I had a, a soul DJs, and they're always saying, you know, they bring a record out, it's usually a fetishized item, like this one is from 1962, the first pressing, it's, you know, they, they go, and it doesn't really, people don't relate to it that much. So I thought, well, there's only six songs during this contest. There's a space between each, so they don't need to be a DJ. Everyone's trying to win a dance contest, so they can play what they want. Why don't I, instead of uh, getting... Uh, a, a proper DJ for these six songs, why don't I get a personality 
to play their six favorite soul songs with, you know, with a space in between each. And that way it just makes it more fun and includes people from the outside instead of, you know, being sort of exclusionary. And so Randy, of course, is a party man and perfect, a perfect guy for that job. Randy from the Village People. And how did your friends befriend him? I know there's a lot of Village People in here. But he said your punk friends, because the Village People do have that punk song, Food Fight. Did you ask him about that? Have you heard the song, Food Fight? How did your I felt so bad. Food Fight is a favorite of mine. I have, I have the 45. And, uh, but he, he quit before their, their greatest moment. You know, uh, he quit right before Food Fight, which in a way was, was a smart commercial idea because they, they really, you know, they had he quit right when they the ship was sinking, you know. Even though you and I love food fights, Jonathan Tobin but, coming to to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow <laughs> night to the Cobalt as part of the Levitation Fest, the amazing Levitation Fest that's happening this weekend in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You're playing the Cobalt at twelve a.m. Also, the Shivas and Ele- Mr. Elevator and the Brain Hotel are playing as well. You cause people to go up, you cause people to go down, and you also cause Lindsay Lohan to fall down. How did you cause Lindsay Lohan to fall down? Oh man! Well, that, I didn't tell anyone about that. I I, I basically had a um, I she you know when you play I had a had a gig for over uh, with the bar started like six or seven years playing punk records at Motor City Bar downtown, and we had a lot of people like her come in, a lot of um, famous people and stuff. And Motor City is great because it's one of the last places in New York where people won't come up and try to get an iPhone picture with you or you know like I, and to be honest, I didn't really. I didn't even recognize her or know who she was. But <laughs> I, I had heard of her. I just didn't know. I haven't seen her movies or anything. So she, she, she went outside to smoke a cigarette and fell down. And when she's outside, everyone on the street took pictures and put it online. And the paparazzi started calling me and the bartender asking, had she been drinking? What? And so, you know, whatever. We didn't, we didn't tell them anything or whatever, but uh, it, it made the night, I guess, notable and a kind of way you don't really want it to be <laughs> when you play a song how does the crowd react if like their dad was in the band that you're playing have you had that happen where like you're playing a song and the song you're playing is like oh my god that's my dad's band like you've discovered some weird record some obscure record and it just so happens the person that has something to do with it is in the audience has that happened at all oh yeah i've had some really crazy things like that happen and in fact you know like uh over the years, I mean, people will even bring their dads or whoever down there and be like, well, you know. Anyway, but the coolest was um, Oscar Brown Jr. did this song, But I Was Cool. Do you know that one? It's like a sort of beatnik jazz. Uh, it's amazing, and it's weird. It's a song about um, how he, he wants to keep his cool, and in any situation, you shouldn't lose your mind. And by the end of the song, he's losing his mind. <laughs> it's an amazing song, and you should find it, uh, but... I had a 45 of it, and I want to get another one. It's just too hard to get. But his son came in and said, you're playing my dad. I've never heard a DJ play my dad. I mean, having a dance party playing this record, and his son is this, like, really hip, handsome cat, you know, Uh, younger cat, and he came in and just lost his mind. So, of course, I gave him the record. And, uh, yeah, I think he got a lot of pride in his, his dad, too, you know, from from being at a dance party and being like, what are you doing playing my dad? 
This past January, DJ Jonathan Tobin, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow night to the Cobalt, you played like every night. Will New York City ever run out of venues? A city like Vancouver always has trouble with venues. There's always places to play, but sometimes you have to go to illegal places. But it seems there's a lot of legal places in New York. Will it ever run out of venues? What was the biggest crowd you played for after playing for a whole month? What was the smallest? Oh, yeah. Well, I did a one-month tour of New York in January because basically I used to play every night, and I'm trying not to anymore. But uh, all my friends that I used to work with at these bars, New York has been geographically expanding, so it's become really decentralized. Everyone's opening a place, and so I decided, I keep telling everybody, oh, I'll play at your club, or some of the places I started at, I tell them that, but I never do. So I reserved January to go back and just play at everyone I know's club every night. And I had everyone sign up for a night. The problem is, is that it was going way past January, and I was leaving people out. We had so many venues of people, and not strangers' venues, like all people I know, that, like, I had to cut it off at 31 uh, dates, 32 dates. And uh, it, it, it's, an, it's an amazing amount, but the, the problem is, is it becomes more decentralized. These places aren't... Um, you know, when you have one or two places or five or six places, in the case of old New York, where people go, you get these communities of people that see each other all the time and they make culture. Now everyone is sort of separate, and uh, we're making a lot less culture because of these divisions. And I was hoping that, you know, in its own abstract way, I'd go all these places and kind of like try to pull it all together just in my own head or something. And uh, it it it. it it's not, not necessarily a good thing to have too many places. Have you ever fallen asleep at all? <laughs> you know, I've only called, I've done almost 2,000 gigs in uh, eight years, and I've um, only fallen asleep. I've never fallen asleep, but I've um, I, I w- only once canceled a gig due to illness, and that was partially because I, I was getting a school bus ride to Mexico for the show kind of shady festival that I wasn't sure if I'd make it. I waited on the corner for a few hours and I was sick. And he said he was sending another kid in three hours. So I decided to uh, just go to sleep. <laughs> but I, I haven't, I have perfect attendance other than that. And, uh, and, I, and I've been awake the whole time. What about passing out in a DJ booth? Because didn't your buddy Tim Warren pass out in a DJ booth and then you have to like find his rare records? What record did he lose in a DJ booth? What happened there? <laughs> Well, Tim, Tim is amazing, but you know, one, one time I had him seven or eight years ago, one of my all time heroes, Tim Warren. And, uh, yeah, and I, I, uh, he, he passed out for whatever reason. And I, uh, and you know, he, some, he had some guys that worked for him that like they took him out. I didn't even know what happened. He was just gone. And I looked down on the floor and there was a record with a footprint on it. And it, it was one of my records I learned from him when I was a younger man on Las Vegas grind. It's one called, uh, my very own trash can. You know that one? No, I don't. He's the guy behind, though, all the back from the graves. But some of the Las Vegas grind ones I have heard, I just don't always know the track. I don't always know the track list of the trash can. Well, I'll tell you, Tim Warren, one thing about, about Tim is that uh, there's a few of these culture heroes that a lot of people in the household world don't know their name. And Tim, Tim I mean, first of all, back from the grave, he, he basically compiled a new kind of garage rock that really wasn't, well, hadn't all been condensed into one form before he did Back to the Grave. And, and in most of the tracks, I mean, had never been anywhere and nobody ever knew about. And so he 
sort of created a new vocabulary that bands like the Gories and later the Blacklist, they directly, I mean, that was a big influence of bands like that. And it sort of really changed the world. And then he created what we call the titty shakers genre in the early 90s with Las Vegas Grind. And uh, he, he just did a lot of different cool things and, and still does, you know, that uh, like curating records and playing them in a, in a sort of like his records all have a really nice, Narrative. I've been, I've been making some compilations lately that are, they're not serious like Tim's. They're like, they're called Souvenirs of the Soul Clap, and I do them for Norton. And it's basically for people to take home sort of the sound of what they hear at the party. And it, it's really, really hard. I mean, you, it, to find records that you can get permission to use is almost impossible at this point. And then to put them in an order that makes sense. And, uh, like, I, my first two, I, I like a little, but I'm kind of, Embarrassed. I got a little better at the sequence of these these two that just came out last month. But I, it's Tim is amazing at sequencing records to where like it, it's even though it's other people's songs, it's uh it sounds like a narrative and like something that people planned and it was always meant to be those songs always meant to be together or something, you know. And he passed out in a DJ booth from drinking. Oh, I don't know about that. He was a very hardworking man. At that time, and uh, and he was running a record store and a record label, and he had he had you know he probably he you know he probably had a lot of hard time sleeping, uh, you know, so he he might have just been really tired. He went across the country to put together the new "Back from the Grave," which is incredible. Version nine and ten, I think it is. Have you had any experience for anything like that? Or did Tim tell you anything about his trip across the country? Like stories about knocking on people's doors to trying to get a record. He was like staking out parking lots to try to find people. Have you gone to those extent? Did he tell you anything about trying to find a record or trying to find the original members? No, I'm not at all like that. You know, I'm just a DJ. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nightclub DJ. I try to find cool records and I try to learn more about them. But Tim is like a, a proper archaeologist. And uh, I mean... He, he doesn't only find the records, but he finds out who all the people are involved. He gets pictures of them. The liner notes themselves are a, a work of art. And uh, he, I mean, what, the kind of contributions he's giving, if someone buys one of my compilations, which I hope they do, I mean, my, there'll be a good time party, and they'll hear some records, and they'll dance, and if they're a DJ, they can use the track. And I've been matching this sound good, but Tim, his records are the kind of thing that some someone can pick up 100 years in the future and learn you know all this stuff like it's like a it's a it's a real it's a work of art and a museum piece and a you know like a little library of a lost culture of teenage teenage brutal uh rock and roll of the of the first order you know well you jonathan tobin coming to vancouver british columbia canada tomorrow night tomorrow night you're really in vancouver british columbia canada right jonathan i cannot believe it i'm very excited Tomorrow night at the Cobalt, doing the Soul Clap. That's tomorrow as part of the Levitation Festival. You are an archaeologist in a way, though, because haven't you found some records that people have freaked out about? For instance, Jimmy May's Monkey Shine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I that that's a good one. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, sometimes I find a weird. I have a few records that I don't have any information on and I'm not online. Where did you find No one I know knows about them, but it's just a coincidence when I find them. I'm not, but where I'm did not you... a supreme record collector. Where did you find that particular record? Jimmy Mays' Monkey Shine. You found it like at some record store. What record store was it? Uh, and you actually weren't sure what you were going to have to pay for it. Please, could you tell the people? Oh, yeah, that's a weird that's story. Yeah, no, I, I, 
I, I actually learned that song from Tim Warren, and I uh, I was at a Baltimore record store, and it was a, a I was it had no price on it, and I had and I really wanted it, but I didn't have very much money back then, and so I went and I and, I, and the guy uh, he had a pile of records, and he went through them, and he looked up a couple, like like kind of like oh it's the Shirelles, this one's going to be three dollars, like okay, and then he pa- he passed up that one, and he was like uh, a dollar, and went by and. I was so happy because I was worried I would I would have to like figure out a way to borrow some money from someone in Baltimore or something or <laughs> you know maybe not get it you know. And then you played it at the WFMU record fair and all the collectors freaked out. Really, <laughs> that's so cool. I I didn't uh, I I, uh, I I I mean you know I I wasn't much of a collector guy though. Like I said, it took me a long time. To even get much of collectors never really uh, had a lot of respect for what I do because it's very, you know what I mean. It's kind of populist. Like I just, uh, I mostly want people to dance. I don't really, uh, I'm not really that concerned with. Uh, I mean, I hope to have a unique item and it's nice, but mostly, you know, I want, I want, I want people to like have a good time and have something to dance to that they don't have to hear every day. But it's still really awesome, you know. And that's not always a popular thing with, you know what I mean? Like, lot, there's so many guys that have cooler and better and rarer records than me. I'm, not, I'm near the bottom of that, you know? Jonathan Tobin, have you ever used a psychic to guess a song to play at a gig? Because what is an Ian from the makeup seance like? You've used a seance before, haven't you, to figure out what to play at a gig? Yeah, I was talking about the uh, guest selector. And uh, what happened is Ian wrote a book called uh, Supernatural Strategies uh, for Making a Rock and Roll Band, which is an advice book about how to make a rock band. And what he did is he had these seances, and he summoned dead rock stars and asked them, you know, advice about how to form a rock band. And uh, so this book had just come out, and I had Ian do it, and I said, well, instead of you picking the songs, maybe we could have a seance and communicate with one of your favorite dead rock stars, and they could select the songs from you know, from another dimension, from the afterlife. And uh, he, he said, sure. And I was like, who do you want to pick these songs? And he said uh, that he thought that Jim Morrison would be a good choice. So he, he, had, he communicated along with uh, other members of the seance on stage with Jim Morrison and asked him which songs to play. And then uh, Jim Morrison would pick the record and then Ian would play it. How did it go over? How were Jim Morrison's selections after all these years of him being in heaven? You know, I was sort of surprised to find out Jim Morrison wasn't really a music guy. He didn't really, you know, people ask him about music, you know, I like, you know, Elvis and Sinatra, which are great, but you know what I mean? He, his tastes weren't so deep, but, uh, but, but it, it was all solid, you know, it was good. It was good. You know, he, he, Jim Morrison has a certain propensity, you know, have you ever been in a car with a 45 player at all Jonathan Tobin like those cars yeah. are, what are those like 45 what car was it who had the 45 player in a car oh no no oh no no I brought my own 45 players in a car like portable ones but uh no I've read about like in Keith Richards book he's always like you know so we got a car had a 45 player we had a stack of Motown singles we're cruising around you know you read stuff like that all the time and uh that sounds amazing. How about the Mattel six-inch slabs of plastic that you were showing people? Those Mattel six-inch slabs of plastic. We can tell the people about that. 
That I don't understand very much. I was in a record store in uh, in uh, Pittsburgh, and they had they had these really thick orange plastic that looked like a little orange plastic toy, and you put it on a record player, and it actually plays. And it, it, it didn't sound amazing, but it sounded okay. You know, it sounded like a flexi disc kind of. You know, you were but incredible. You are Jonathan Tobin coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow night to the Cobalt to do the... Are so- you coming, Nardwar? Are the, you going to come to my gig? To the, soul, to the Soul Clap as part of the Levitation Festival. People can check out the entire Levitation Festival. You're playing soul music, but you're also, quote, into hip-hop, uptown, downtown, hip-hop music in downtown Manhattan in the early 80s by Jonathan Tobin. What was that all about? Oh, man. Well, it's funny. I was in graduate school. And uh, actually, I had a, a hip-hop seminar, of all things. And uh, I, I was mostly, the period I was most interested in is, uh, I mean, you know, when I went to graduate school, I wasn't a DJ. I had been a musician. And so, you know, being a downtown musician guy, whatever, all my friends that were older were in these bands that they remember when hip-hop first came out, when it was something that even outside of New York, no one knew about. And uh, I became really interested in their stories and mostly about how, you know, hip-hop was, it was this isolated Bronx phenomenon uh, with these teenagers that were disaffected in the Bronx. And at the same time, literally the exact same time, you know, and, and the Lower East Side, which was also, like, kind of bombed out in its own way, all these kids were making punk that were disaffected. And, and yeah, and they were a little older than the kids in the Bronx. But uh, somewhere in the late 70s, you know, these cultures started discovering one another. And, uh, you know, and, and it became really interesting to me the collisions between uh, the downtown art and music scene and the hip-hop scene as hip-hop became hip-hop. And, and, the, and the sort of also back and forth people didn't talk about, you know, between the, both the crowds, the music, everything. Like, it was, it was a very, it, became a, it kind of united the city in an odd way of people that wouldn't otherwise know each other. Did you ever plug into a lamppost like old-school DJs did? Have you ever done that? I've always wanted to, but uh, I don't even have a proper sound system for that, you know? But didn't you do some stuff with Cool Herc? What was that like? Did you do stuff with Cool Herc? What was his setup like? Oh, well, that was shocking. I went to the All Tomorrow's Parties Festival. I did my gig. It went over well, and I was done. And then I, I was supposed to actually DJ with the guy, Ryan, from Pitchfork. And then the the guy from uh, from the festival was like, do you mind... We have this slot that's open in the main bar at, at, at this hotel where everyone's staying. And they're like, can you please do this? Um, it, it, you know, and we really need the slot filled and the DJ canceled or whatever. So I was like, sure, whatever. And then I get there and I realize that I got a DJ after Cool Herc. And I was like, no, I don't want a DJ after that guy. You know, he could DJ before me, I mean, after me, but I, I really don't want to follow you, the guy who invented hip hop and one of the best DJs ever. Cause I'm, I'm not even, I mean, I'm a real DJ. I'm this guy, I play records, I, I try to play them on the beat and make it danceable and interesting, but that, this guy, I mean, anyway, I tried to get out of it, but they were like, look, come on, your only hope, you got to do it, blah, blah, blah. And so, Clark's playing, and he, he's amazing, and he's playing basically this Roots of Hip Hop set where he's doing, you know, Babe Ruth, the Mexican, Incredible Bongo Band, Apache, Lynn Collins, Snake, all all into one another in these circles, like the, all the DNA of all the music that we listen to now that he sort of put together in his own weird way. You're like witnessing it in person. And, you know, Ron Jeremy was dancing and the, the Jizza came on stage and was like 
put his like held his arm up was like the inventor of hip hop, the king Cork, you know. And I was like, God, this is great, but I don't really want to. Man, I just feel weird having to play records after this. It makes me feel like bullshit because he's the real deal, and I'm just you know whatever. Did you get a chance so, to speak to him? What was he playing? Well, what was really weird is that I mean. He was doing all that, and then they, they were telling me, okay, you need to go on now. I was like, no, he's doing a great job. I'll just wait till he's done, and then I'll come up there and whatever. And they're like, no, he's an, he's an older man. He's, his time's run out. He probably wants to stop. You need to go and start hanging out by the side of the stage and be ready. So I hung out by the side of the stage. He's like, he's like you want to go? And I'm like, uh, you know, whatever. And he, he, I don't know if he did it as a favor to me or – whatever, but he uh, played like two or three newer hip-hop tracks that he announced was his favorite new songs. And the place kind of cleared out and stopped dancing. And that would normally be bad, but I was kind of like, oh, relieved. I don't know if he was trying to help me or if he just... <laughs> but, so I went on, and I, and I, I had a really weird box, because like, when I come to Canada tomorrow, I, have a, I only travel with a little box of records. And for all tomorrow's parties, uh, records are like half kind of soul and funk, half, like, psychedelic shit, half, like, I mean, I played Flipper, for Christ's sakes, you know, and uh, and uh, and mixing them all together for dancing, but, you know, I didn't really, uh, I, I don't, I didn't have the equipment to follow a DJ like that, and I did, and it was really weird, because people started filtering in, and then we had this big dance party again, and uh, I kept getting fist pumps from Cool Herc, and then, his sister came up, who's his manager, like, Cool Herc likes your style. He thinks that you don't play like anyone else, and he wants to do gigs with you. I'm like, whoa. And then he came up to me himself, and he was like, and it was, his son's starting to come out, and he's like, do you, do you mind? I have some 45s up in my room if I play some 45s with you. I'm like, no way. So I ended up getting, you know, the son's coming up on there with Cool Herc. And then after all that, you know, all these people I know who are bartenders in New York and all this, and bands were playing. They wanted to go hang out after they told us stop. And I know that Cool Herc is sober because you know he had some he had some trouble and all that in the past. And I was like, yeah, we're gonna go here and party. You probably don't want to come. He's like, yeah, I want to come. So he came and hung out with us, and he talked to everyone in the room. We all we all hung out with a founder of hip hop, the most personable, like really relaxed, cool, music loving man. I, I want to be like him when I grow up. What an amazing night, DJ Jonathan Tobin, that was. Yeah. Maybe the highlight of my career. I don't even know. What do you think about DJing in the 70s? For instance, making money. Was he making any money back then? Because DJ Eddie Chiba, he would get like 2000 a night in 1975. Do you think Cool Herc saved any? What do you think about DJ? No, no. He... It, the guy you're talking about, the disco DJs made a lot of money. Cool Herc was inventing a new art form. And, and what happened with him is that he, he made a little money. at the, They had a place called Disco P Replay, but mostly they had these dances at community centers. Like in all the early hip-hop of these teenagers, you know, they didn't have a bar and all that stuff like those other places. So he would, he would go there and like literally like, you know, or like you said, the lamppost. It was like this real raw... Uh, like renegade art and uh and, and by the time that all those people started becoming famous and they started making hip-hop records for the first time cool hurt who you know by then grandmaster flash grand wizard theodore all these people had taken his innovations and done more with them and the thing with him was that even though they were all playing a lot of the tracks he made famous and doing a lot of mixes he made famous 
and, and the format, again, with his MCs singing over this, like the whole hip-hop thing you know, that he created, once it started becoming a big deal, he was having a little trouble with drugs and uh, this and that, and he, by the time he got through with his troubles and all that, it, it was a new era, and uh, he had been bypassed, and he didn't make a record until the 90s. We have a question for you, Jonathan Tobin. We're speaking to you, Jonathan Tobin, who's in Vancouver tomorrow night as part of Levitation, doing his Soul Clap DJing at the Cobalt. A question from LK617, and it says, does Jonathan have any love for the incredible bongo band Breaks? You mentioned that DJ Cool Herc played some of that, but how about you personally, Incredible Bongo Band, which was recorded in Vancouver, BC, Canada? Oh, no way. It's a Vancouver track. That's great. It's Preston Epps playing the, the bongos, right, on that? Yeah, do you use that at all in your set? Do you have any love for it, LK-617? Oh, I have a lot of love for it, man. That, uh, that particular moment, you know, really, I think, spiced up uh, a lot of music. And, you know, Apache, which is, you know, like a, a really old, you know, cool uh, surf song, you know, like it, it got a new life in the 70s of that, and then through hip-hop it got a life in the 80s because of that Killer bongo break and that great riff with the bongos on it, man. I love it a lot. At South by Southwest, you DJed right after Erica Badu. How was her DJing? Oh, well, uh, one night at a vice party, I DJed where she DJed after me. But once she invited me to DJ at one of her shows, and uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a disaster. The Spank Rock, you know who that is? I heard of them. From, they're from Pittsburgh or Philadelphia? Yeah, Philly. Or Baltimore. And, uh, they opened, somewhere, and they yeah. were very popular in the underground, and they could bring like a thousand people, but they played, and they got they got booed off stage, even though they did great. And then I was, I had to go to another gig, but Erica Badu got stuck in traffic, and the people were getting really anxious, and uh, and I was like, I gotta go, and they're like, no, you have to stay here and, and, and DJ, because we don't have anything, you know? And so I'm playing records, and uh, <laughs> people started yelling at me and throwing stuff at me, and... Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not unaccustomed to that because I, I did a lot of playing records that didn't belong in certain places for years. It actually kind of got a kick out of it uh, sometimes. But so that night was uh, was kind of rough because, uh, you know, th- there was uh, <laughs> I was being pelted with all kinds of stuff and making people unhappy. And I didn't want to really be there because I had to go. But, you know, I think I was the only only uh, only hope. Has Jay-Z ever whittled his way into the DJ booth at all? Jay-Z came to visit one night when uh, Jack White had me do a, a gig. at uh, He was filming an American Express special at uh, Webster Hall. And uh, Jay-Z came in and hung out in the DJ booth. And uh, it's funny, people took pictures of it, so it looks like we were really growing down and he's watching me and stuff. But really, I was... I, I figured he was going there to be left alone, so I, I was respectful and didn't uh, didn't bother him about anything. <laughs> Billy Miller from Norton Records told you about his secret fantasy, Kid Rock. He loves Kid Rock, Ronnie Love. No, no, he he doesn't like Kid Rock. <laughs> uh, it's sort of a joke. I started telling people because I went to his house, and basically on the uh, on the souvenirs of Soul Club Volume One. One of the songs I wanted to put on there was uh, this amazing song uh, called Detroit, Michigan. And this song, it, it, you know, it's great. There's a couple good versions of it. And um, the one I, I put is Ronnie Love. There's another one by the Peps. And uh, basically, Billy had to purchase the song uh, 
from a, uh, a guy that he knows and uh, for, for quite a bit of money to put on there. But he was saying it cost a lot of money because Kid Rock had covered it. And he showed me this video of Kid Rock doing this kind of fairly obscure Detroit song, you know, and doing a rap over it. And uh, it's a great song. It's just funny. Kid Rock doesn't seem like someone who would uh, find out about it. And definitely Billy from Norton, it doesn't seem like the kind of... He's definitely not the guy that would introduce you to a Kid Rock song. What's their collection like? Do they still live in, like, that old schoolhouse? Did you use many records from their collection for your Soul Clap LPs, Jonathan Tobin? Oh, no. Those are all the records from my parties, even the ones with cracks. I'd like to use theirs because theirs are in better shape. But they live in a huge old schoolhouse, and uh, they are amazing. They, they, you know, they hit the world to Hazel Atkins in the, in the 80s. They put out, you know, if, if think of for a reissue label, they did all the Sonics and Pretty Things and, you know, like, I, I mean, it, it goes on and on and on, like, like uh, Link Ray, like all the best stuff. I learned, to be honest, I, did, I learned about Mighty Hannibal from them and uh, King Coleman and Gino Washington. So when they asked me to do this, you know, I couldn't believe couldn't believe that, that they wanted to put out my uh, stuff, you know? Were your record covers modeled after anything? Your Soul Clap records? Were they modeled after any other band's records? Well, it's funny. The first two, Norton pretty much uh, did. My only contribution was a horse because uh, he, he, he was in a hurry, and I think, I don't know, but this last time, uh, I was like, if I can turn it around, can I, can I make my own covers? And so the volume three... Um, I ripped off uh, At Home with Screaming Jay Hawkins, and where he's at home and he's sitting on the ground with a skull in his hand and some, you know, it's like a phone and a flower pot, but since it's souvenirs of the soul clap, I have a record player and some records and some tequila, some dance contest numbers. And for uh, the uh, volume four, there's uh, the baby workout Jackie Wilson on where he's sort of, you know, he's like yelling and there's little pictures of him around there like doing these dances. So I, I ripped off that one for four. Do you know Matt Murillo from Junior Varsity, the band Junior Varsity from Houston, Texas? Did you ever play with them in your band Cheeses at all? I, I remember, I think I was in the hammocks when they were a band, and I think we I think we did do some gigs. I remember Matt, and I remember Junior Varsity. It's hard to remember if we actually played with them or if <laughs> I just saw them, but, you know. And then from there, you ended up with MTV Viacom? How did that happen? Oh, well, no, I was just doing crazy temp jobs when I, when I moved to New York. So I, uh, I, I, I worked, I worked at all kinds of crazy places. I did Nickelodeon. I did, uh, you know, I, I worked in both world trade center towers and in both of them, I worked at a hundred or above at certain points. And, uh, and I worked at, uh, I worked for an opera diva, Kathleen battle. I worked for this guy, Ron Goldman, who did, uh, the guy who owns Revlon. I did his Christmas list with him. <laughs> I, I, I earned money wherever I could because my, my band got dropped and uh, we didn't have any money, so I had, to, I had to learn how to do all these temp things, you know? Where were the Revlon Christmas cards going to? I'm sorry? You said you helped them with this Christmas list, the Revlon Christmas list. Where were the Christmas gifts or cards going? Well, it was kind of crazy. I showed up. They didn't really tell me what the assignment was except where it was, and it was an important client, and then I needed to be on time and you know, be really ready to work. <laughs> and I show up, and yeah, he he had a list of people that got different gifts. He had like 10 gifts, and uh, I, I kind of wish I was like him. Like, it was hundreds of people. And uh, someone like, and, and, and the top gift was like this fur coat. Like, his wife 
Ellen Barkin or, or uh, Cindy Crawford got the fur coat, but his accountant would get like chocolate covered strawberries or something, or a you know, I don't know, like a <laughs> leather folder. Or so. I don't know. He had like ten different things, the gift basket. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't be telling people's professional secrets. And you are DJ Jonathan Tobin, who will be giving out all the professional secrets tomorrow night as part of the Soul Clap, as part of the Levitation Festival at the Cobalt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Jonathan's going to be getting on an airplane. He's live now in New York City, coming to Vancouver with a whole bunch of 45s, and you're going to put on an amazing gig at the Cobalt tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with the Shivas as well, and Mr. Elevator and the Brain Hotel. And more info is available at the Levitation Festival Vancouver website if you want more information on that. And also, winding up here on the Nardwater Human Survey Radio Show, we're going to be ending with a big chunk of tunes that Jonathan has personally chosen as part two to end the Nardwater Human Survey Radio Show. I was thinking the roots of the night train, the Jonathan Tobin night train that you do in New York City. Did Todd P. help get that started? Legendary promoter Todd P.? Oh, Todd and I have done many things together um, since even when I was in bands. My Before I was uh, a DJ, I had New York Night Train. I would play at Todd's parties all the time. But uh, the the thing that happened was that, uh, the way that it got started, New York Night Train was initially a record label, and I, and I mostly set it up. You know Kid Congo Powers is? Indeed, the cover of I Found a Peanut. Yeah. Well, well Kid... kid um, was one of my all-time heroes, and uh, he was living in New York, and he's a friend of mine. And he was having trouble uh, putting his records out, and I thought, you know, the mid-2000s was a bad period. For, it was a good period for Animal Collective or, like, so, I don't know, for some things, but it wasn't a good period for, like, some of these people that did really cool stuff in the 70s and 80s. And, uh, and that came a little later. And so no one, kid was having trouble putting his records out. He had the guy who's putting out his compilation went missing. The guy who's putting out his new record ran out of money. And I had, my grandmother died and I had like 20 grand and I had, I'd already spent five of it in, in, in like a month. So I was like, you know, I should, I should do something with this. I'll just put out kids' records. So I, and I made a fake blog. Well, it's a real blog, but it was, a, it's called New York Night Chain. And I did, I had, did kids' oral history where he talked about a time in the cramps, gun club, Nick Cave and the Bad Seas, all that. And then we put out the record, and then uh, my, my first New York Night Train party was the record release party for this record, and, uh, and, the, and the, it kind of went from there into no more record label and only parties, and then from only parties to where me being like a DJ somehow. <laughs> the dance-off, that's going to be happening tomorrow night at the Cobalt. What exactly is it? And, like, have casting directors and dance video casting people used your dance-offs to find people? Like, actual dance casting directors? Like, what goes on there? Like, and what dance names have you found? Like, what dances out there? Like, for instance, the washing machine, the egg beater. What have you guys found out there? Have casting directors actually come out? What goes on there? What are people going to see? And what have, have casting directors come out? Could people be a star from what they perform at? You know, I don't really think that, uh, that that happens. One thing that's really great about the dance-off, I tried to make it where it's very populist and it doesn't encourage, you know, super acrobatic stuff. And, in fact, the one thing that's funny, professional dancers always get mad because they usually lose. Because the one thing about professional dancers and b-boys is that both of them come in with a very competitive spirit and, and thinking that dancing is this thing 
that can be quantified. But like rock and roll, you know, you might be someone who can play an Ingve Malmsteen guitar solo, but that doesn't mean you're cool or good at rock and roll. And, and dancing is the same. It's about aesthetics. So it's not really the, a good place to find a professional dancer, but it's a good place to find someone with a cool dancing style and it, that's a unique individual, you know? How about... Go and, ro- sorry, go ahead. Okay. No, I was going to say, go, how about for people attending it that aren't dancing but are just there to enjoy the music and are in a band? Like, have you given advice to any modern soul or garage bands of songs that they should cover? Like, they go to your event and they're like, man, I should cover that song. Has that happened or have you given any advent, adv- adv- advice? You know, I think I must have... I must have given some people advice where someone took it once. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. If, if I know it probably happened. <laughs> For sizing out the crowd, you said that you used the Sonics as a bullshit detector? Oh, well, the one thing is that when, when I was starting DJing, particularly, you got to understand, I was DJing every single night in a nightclub. And a lot of times at these popular clubs, you don't really know who's there, what they know. So what I started doing was playing some subcultural hits that, like, people that are culturally aware know and see if I see any recognition on people's faces. So I play a song that people who are culturally aware know, and if it's just a bunch of blank expressions and nothing happens, I go back to playing music that's ironclad without... But if they show that they're culturally aware... I can do references, like I can play the original version of a song that people know, I can play a cover, and I can have a a lot of effect communicating with people that way. But if they don't know even what the sonics are, for instance, then I won't be able to communicate on that level. And if I I do a cover or an original, it will be like a a Spanish cover of Wooly Bully. (laughs) Will you ever play Young MC at all? No. What are you... Do you like him? I was just curious, because that is the ultimate cougar mover. What are your cougar movers? <laughs> you know, like when you are desperate and you got to throw out the cougar mover. Since you don't have access to Young MC, what is your cougar mover? Cougar mover, man. I sh- I, I'm so horrible, because I, I think the big problem, I don't get the luxury of playing to cougars. I'm always stuck, I'm always stuck with these 20-somethings, you know? <laughs> well, but I think if I, if I did, I would definitely... Uh, I would definitely invest in more, like, I think I'm too sexy for the shirt. Or, um, you know, what, what I really enjoyed was I like big butts, which has a renaissance now because of Nicki Minaj. I think that one might be my cougar mover. And hopefully cougars do come out tomorrow night to Jonathan Tobin's Soul Clap at the Cobalt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Saturday night at the Cobalt. More information at Levitation Vancouver. And winding up here, just lastly, I was curious, what about other DJs scoping you out to see what you're playing that they may incorporate into their act? Or have you had any interactions with the big-name DJs that are out there, even in airplane lobbies, hotel lobbies, airplane lounges like Tiesto, Dead Mouse? Have they ever seen you? Skrillex? I'll be honest. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm so bad at knowing who these people are and what they look like. I, when I do these festivals and stuff, I, I really, you know, <laughs> I, I really don't know anything about their music or what they look like. I know what Dead Mouse and Daft Punk look like, but it wouldn't help me if I was in an elevator with them. But you did see Dildo King in Berlin? Who? <laughs> you saw Dildo King Carr in Berlin. 
Oh, King Kong. No, a dildo king. Dildo king. Yeah, there was a pic, there was a picture. Oh, of... I saw. I I put that on on Instagram. Yeah, there was that. I just saw a, a car drive by that said the dildo king of Berlin, and I thought, well, <laughs> you know, that's something that you don't see every day. And that is King Kong. He's the dildo king of Berlin for sure. I, I thought at first that that's what you're talking about. It would be great if he were the dildo king. And you also give out gifts at the Williamsburg Mall? Oh, you know, I was moving and I didn't have time to put stuff in New York. What you do if you're moving with the stuff you don't want, if you don't feel like having a yard sale, is you just put everything out in front of your house. And, and like, for instance, my first few apartments were furnished exclusively from people that put stuff out in front of their house. So, um... You know, you put your records and books and clothes out there, and, you, and let people just take them. And uh, and but it was raining that day when I was moving, so I had to go into the. Uh, the, the it's called Williamsburg Mall. It's not really a mall. It's like a more of an arcade of sorts uh, with little stores, the one story thing. And uh, so I went in there because it was dry, and I put all my uh, my stuff in there, and I put I put it online. I was like, if you want it, it's shit. It's sitting there. It's yours. And did it disappear? And what did people get? I don't know. I didn't go back to look. You know, what I always think happens is there's usually some greedy person that probably takes all the records for themselves and either sells them or puts them in, you know, or I don't know. I've noticed I have a, I have a thing called record release where uh, every record I play, I give away. And I got it from my friend Eric Z, the idea. And, uh, and, and, and it used to be instead of, you know, it's because I don't sell records. I'll give a record to a friend if I'm like, oh, you'd like this record. But I, I don't really sell records because I'm not, I'm just not good at selling stuff. But, uh, you know, so my idea is that, you know, when you have doubles of a record or whatever, you know, something you don't want, you, you make a whole DJ set out of it and play the record. And then when it's done, anyone can take it. But what I noticed is that there's usually a few people in every crowd, not many. Most people are really nice. But sometimes there's two or three people that will, We'll try to take every record, and then they stomp and so, on, and then they stomp on your whalers out of our tree record and break it. No, some jerk, and I don't, I, I don't really have any hate for most people or this guy, but this guy sent, sent it to me in a really flimsy package from Europe. It didn't, it, it had all this room in there. It didn't have cardboard in there, or anything, and and it, 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 I, I opened the box and it was cracked in half. And and I tr I wrote him back, you know. I was like, and he was like, "Oh, you know, it must have been your PO box." I was like this never happened. You packed it wrong. I couldn't prove that. And he and he uh, he quickly refunded one third of my money without even talking about it. I was like, well, that's roughly what I paid for it. And so it's a perfect copy, but he, he ruined it. He didn't give me my money back, and I didn't make a big deal with you. I mean, whatever eBay, because I just you know I'm not vindictive or anything. I just it just bummed me out that this person's uh, humanity was such that he couldn't own up to doing a bad job of packing and making me lose $100 on, and, you know, the best record ever. Jonathan, you know? tomorrow night you're playing at the Cobalt in Vancouver. Lastly, lastly here, in New York City there's a club, the Commodore. We have a Commodore in Vancouver. What's the Commodore like in New York? Oh, man, it's great. It has, um, it, basically it's in a historic location we're <laughs> in the recent history that now seems like the distant past. In around 99 or so, 
Williamsburg, Brooklyn had no, as they would say, hipster bar, anything. It was all, there's one place for punks and uh, bikers called Sweetwater. And, and you know, there were, we'd all go to the local bars and stuff. Um, but there was nowhere for the new culture that was coming up here of, of you know, just countercultural people. And so a few people went in on a place called Black Betty. And, 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 uh, and that was really the first place out of now there's like hundreds of these places in the neighborhood. And when it closed down, uh, some really nice people bought it and, uh, and called it the Commodore and gave it a sort of nautical theme, but also, uh, you know, uh, drinks from, uh, tropical drinks, pina coladas and such. An amazing kitchen run by Steve Tanner. Do you know who that is? No. Of Harvey Milk. Oh. That, that's ring. He's, that's... A, he, he's from that band Harvey Milk, but he's a culinary legend. He he made uh, he made pies and thighs, which is uh, started the, the really bad food trend in the neighborhood of like fried stuff and southern food. The Commodore in New York. We'll have to check it out and check you out tomorrow night. Jonathan Tobin as part of the Soul Clap in Vancouver, British Columbia at the Levitation Festival. People can get more information at the Levitation Vancouver Festival website. And you're on at midnight and the Shiva is at 11.20 and Mr. Elevator and the Brain Hotel at 10.25 and a whole bunch of other stuff is happening including Taco Cat is playing, La Luz are playing. And speaking of La Luz and music that you have personally programmed for the Nardwarta Human Survey Radio Show, have got a bunch of stuff here to end the Nardwarta Human Survey Radio Show. want to ask you quick about what you've chosen here you actually picked the 13th floor elevators with i've got levitation oh man what a great maybe the best band ever and one of the great tracks and that's again a rare chance to hear the original seven inch mix of it because that's from the real 45 and then kenny and the casuals because you're from texas <laughs> well i kind of got on a roll Kenny and the Casuals are from Dallas, and uh, and and they they're definitely an Elevators influenced band, and uh, man, killer, right? And and yeah, Journey Through Time. So 13th Four Elevators. I've got Levitation. Kenny and the Casuals. Journey Through Time. Then also from Texas, the Zachary Thax with Bad Girl. So good, right? on the Mercury record label. And then, you're totally psychic here, I was going to ask you actually to play some of this, some Curtis Knight and the Squires' Hornet's Nest. What can you tell the people about that particular track we're going to hear, an instrumental? Yeah, it was a crazy B-side where he kind of let Jimi Hendrix have his way. Before he was Jimi Hendrix, you know, he's just a guitarist and doing an instrumental, and it's so fuzzed out and crazy and wild and... uh you know, sort of all the things that uh, that that you you it must have seemed like it was coming from outer space to anybody that heard that for the first time in 1966. You know, and then Johanna, nighttime lady, which you say you know nothing about. You know, I feel bad. It's Bohanna. I got I got autocorrect. No, I found it in Detroit a couple of weeks ago, but I do know Tim Warren once put it on a compilation called uh, "The Soccer That I Own." And uh, but other than that, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know who Bohanna is. It's from, I know it's from 1970, which is very late for a song that sounds like that. And then Angel and the Divines with The Octopus. The Octopus. Yes. And, you know, um, yeah, I feel, I feel that that's a sort of a surfy, uh, like, 
killer, weird, like, I don't know, it's like surf music. It's a dance craze song, a song called The Octopus, and it's a girl group song. You could play it at all your theme nights. And it leads in, you were saying, to La Luz, who are playing the Levitation Festival with Brainwash. You're going to put that in there as well. Those girls are great. And I, I, I bought that record from them at one of their shows a couple of years ago and took it home. And I'm like, this is so unique. Again, like that last one, it's surfy. It's got really unusual harmony. And it's, uh, it's, it's still, it doesn't sound old, even though it has nods to the past and the Amazing little harmony on on uh, on the chorus there too, you know. And then right into Dead Moon, who are also playing the Levitation Festival. DJ Jonathan Tobin again. All these tracks curated by Jonathan Tobin. We're going to hear "Don't Burn the Fires." Man, Dead Moon, how about that? Are you excited that, that they're playing again? Finally, amazing. What, right, one of the best bands maybe of all time, don't you think? All the way from the weeds, the rats. Zipper, everything Fred Cole does is amazing. And 2D, too. 2D. Uh, yeah, it's un- unbelievable. I mean, I like the Pierce Arrows. I like everything. But Dead Moon, man, very, very special. And, uh, and it's so cool that, I mean, you know, when you pull one of those records out, you know, you know that they pressed it themselves. It's crazy, you know? And then lastly, Brenton Wood with Psychotic Reaction, which I discovered on your amazing blog, what is the Earl of your blog, or should people just go to YouTube to check out your blog? Yeah, just go to YouTube. I, I uh, a few weeks ago, I just decided that um, I'm just going to start putting records I get online. I have a new one up every day just to give someone something to listen to. And, uh, and, and you know, if people go to the parties, you know, there's play, records I play a lot. You know, maybe they can learn what they are. Oh, that's what that is. And, you know, start a, a little journey. I thought the Brenton Wood was fascinating because it's him doing psychotic reaction, but it sounds like, and I'm pretty sure it is, the actual Count Five as the backing track because they were on the same record label, and it sounds to me like he's just playing organ and singing over the Count Five backing track. What do you think about that? You know, I'll listen again and see if that's what it is. It's really hard to say because it's so messed up. I mean, he's, he's mentioning Oogum Boogum in it, which was the single he just had that was big. And, and, he, and the, you know, and then, and then that, yeah, weird organ on top of it. And the, the mix is so odd that, you know, I wouldn't doubt if something like that happened with it. But it's definitely a little, a little different, too. You know what I mean? Like the timing is different. And the, uh, if you listen you know, the end, that double time part is really, like they just faded out embarrassingly because it's going some weird. I mean, it's, it's not very pro, whatever they're doing. It's just something sounds odd about it, and I love that. And I discovered it through Jonathan, your amazing blog, and just type in Jonathan Tobin, T-O-U-B-I-N, into YouTube, and you can hear Brenton Wood, and we're going to play that, doing Psychotic Reaction. But I saw a Brenton Wood LP, and on the back of the Brenton Wood LP, it was on the Double Shot record label, there was an ad for the Count 5 LP. So they were on the same record label, so I'm just thinking that the record label just took the Count 5 mass tape or an outtake and this had Brenton do vocals and put some keyboard over top. That's what I think actually is going on there. I don't know. You, you listen again, but that's just my hunch. But I only started thinking about that because I discovered a song from you, Jonathan. And hopefully people, people will discover more songs from Jonathan tomorrow night at the Cobalt in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Anything else you want to say to the people out there before we kick right into the 13th Floor Elevators? And why should people, um, why should people care about Jonathan Tobin? Why should people care? 
I don't know if they need to care about me, but you know, people should come dancing because I've been working on it. And, uh, and, uh, I think if you want to hear some, uh, unusual soul music that, uh, that get you going, I think that I have a pretty unique take on it. And you know, I have a dance contest if you don't care for the music. <laughs> Anything else you want to tell the people out there at all, Jonathan? You know, I just want to talk. I'm, I'm just really happy to be coming back to uh, British Columbia. And, and I'm happy that the British have a Columbia. Well, thanks so much, Jonathan. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Hey, thank you for having me, Nardwar. I'm a huge fan. Almost, Jonathan. Do do the loot do.
someday I might return But somewhere inside there's the need to flee on The home fires burn But a faltering voice merely whispered my name As if he never expected to hear it again And my heart grew cold to that indifferent sound And I slowly laid the receiver down
Cause I can't get your love, I can't get satisfaction I'm a universe, I've got a reaction 